Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. I am your host, Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my twin brother, Josh. How's it going, Josh? It's going well, brother. How you doing? Doing well. And Mike Minkoff. How's it going, Mike? It's going all right, guys. How are you? Doing great. Today on the podcast, we are talking about the coaching carousel. We're going to talk about Brad Stevens and what his coaching was like in the playoffs and maybe where he would rank with the other coaches in the league. Uh, we're going to talk about the Atlantic division because we've got some changes here. And I'm curious about what you guys think about uh, the impact on the Celtics going forward. But first uh, let's talk about these, some of these coaching vacancies. Uh, our old friend, Doc Rivers was recently hired uh, to coach the Philadelphia 76ers. Josh, I want to go to you first. What was your reaction? A, when Rivers was fired by the Clippers and B, when he was hired by the 76ers. Yeah, I was surprised when he was fired by the Clippers. I thought he would be back next year for sure. And, you know, there's a lot of people pointing fingers at uh, Paul George right now for the way he played and, and the way he vocalized his feelings just being in the bubble and how difficult it was, you know, with everything going on in the world. It's That's been a, a topic of debate and maybe played a role in, you know, the results and therefore Doc Rivers firing. Um, you know, it's interesting from the, the the Celtics perspective because Lawrence Frank and Doc Rivers were together with, with the Celtics, and you know, from that 2008 championship team and and that staff went directly to the Clippers together. Um, and and you know, that was they've been together for a while. They, things have worked at a high level for a while, so it's kind of surprising to see. Yeah, I mean, you texted me, Adam, and said that's not that's not Lawrence Frank firing, that's Steve Ballmer firing him, right? And I I agree with you on that. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting with the Sixers. He's, he, I mean, he's the top coach. I feel like on the list that I've got of, of availables. Um, uh, Who is? We could go into Doc Rivers. Formerly available, in, he's not available. He, he's been hired. No, I understand. Um, when we're looking at the carousel of coaches, I've got a list in front of me, you know, of all the vacancies and all the yeah, changes yeah. that have happened already. So just yeah. from the the beginning of the off season of those changes for those teams, um, in terms of coaching movement, he was the one that was like, if that guy becomes available, he's the, the top of the list. I mean, Billy Donovan taking over the Bulls. Okay, hold you know, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Good, but. We will we will get to all of the other changes. We'll get to the vacancies. We'll get to the available coaches. We'll we'll see if we can match them up a little bit. But let's let's just talk about Rivers first, and and because I want to go down. There's there's been some very high profile firings and hirings, and I want to get to the the top ones first. Um, I yeah, I I was shocked that Rivers was fired from the Clippers. He held that franchise together. Um, when, uh, what was his name? The, the racist owner, Donald, was, when Donald, Donald Sterling, Sterling was like, go like you had guys on uh, staff on the ticket selling side who were coming to rivers. Cause they had no idea who was in charge. There was nobody running the franchise. So at that time, rivers assumed not just the coach, but general manager responsibilities and president, and he was he was holding the, the team together uh, as a high profile African American leader at a time when that was really important. And but for that, I really question what the um, franchise would have looked like when Baumler bought it 
And when Steve Ballmer came in, he acknowledged that he didn't really know how to run a basketball team. And he went with what Doc was already doing and basically said, all right, I'm going to let you continue being the president. And after a while, he promoted Lawrence Frank into that role and demoted Rivers, which I think the track record of doing both roles is not good. That was the right move. But to now remove Rivers, I understand that he lost another 3-1. Another, uh, he was up 3-1 to one again and, and lost that series. And he should have gotten more out of these players. But Rivers is one of the most respected people in the NBA. The reason, in my opinion, one of the reasons that um, Kawhi and PG went to LA was because Rivers was there. And and he's, I would say, top three coach in the league. Um, so those, those are not the kind of people you let go of this easily. So I, I think this is a mistake by Balmer. And I don't think he realizes... Uh, what he's losing here. Mike, what do you wait, think about this? Wait, did you just call Doc Rivers the top three coach in the league? I, I think he's up there, yeah. I mean, maybe not top three, but wow. definitely top five. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, I, don't, I definitely don't agree with that. I, I mean, I think I think as a leader of men, um, as I, I believe, Josh, you like to say, um, Doc Rivers is is exceptional, and, and he deserves all, all of the respect that he has around the league um and particularly in this moment with so much you know uh so much kind of political movement uh in motion related to kind of social injustices his voice is an extraordinarily important one uh to have in the league at a time when the league is being uh very active and and vocal um in in speaking out against uh, those those social injustices. Um, that said, I mean, I, I think you can't qu- question that there was something something going wrong with the Clippers um, ba- based on how their their season went uh, and how the postseason went. I think further, you know, by all accounts, Steve Ballmer was definitely the driver of this. He obviously spoke with both Kawhi and Paul George, and nothing that they communicated to him dissuaded him from getting rid of Doc Rivers. I Are we sure it's about definitely that? well, clearly nothing dissuaded him from getting rid of oh, Doc yeah, Rivers. Right. I don't I don't know what they said. Yeah. But, but My question we, I, is is whether they persuaded it, specifically Paul George. No, I have no idea. I don't know. I I'm not even gonna speculate on that. I and I'd like to think that frankly Balmer wouldn't be swayed too heavily by that especially by Paul George um but I have no idea so I won't even I won't even speculate I'll I'll just say I I mean it's obviously a risk it's it's hard to find someone of the caliber of Doc Rivers and you know there may or may not be coaches available that I would think are probably better over the long run uh, from an X's and O's perspective. Now at the intersection of X's and O's and, and just general leadership skills, um, that's a different question, but they, you know, it, <laughs> on the other hand, if you spend $2 billion on anything, you kind of get to do whatever the heck you want. Um, so it's obviously a risk. Uh, 
you know, some, some other podcasts like the, the mismatch was, was saying that the Clippers are clearly swinging for the fence in a new hire. Um, who that could be is rather unclear. Um, if I don't know for, about for that. it to be, I think it's really clear. You think it's Tyloo? Yeah, yeah. I think that that's I, what's going on here. I don't think so. Wouldn't they have already hired him? No, I think that Ty Lu is the is the name that will then the domino that will will when when he falls when he goes somewhere. I think that will kind of shake everything else up and let the the rest of the snow globe fall to the ground. He's he's and so I think he can take his time. Adam, did you I follow that, that analogy? Um, no, <laughs> I got completely lost, and um, uh, I'm not sure if I can ever recover. <laughs> look, I, I, I put two analogies together. I'm sorry that was too much for you. A little snow globe analogy was too much right after a domino analogy. Let's just stick to the dominoes, okay? Once Ty Lue chooses a location, the other available coaches, I think, will be able to, to pick their spots. And, and I think the market's waiting for him right now. And so, therefore, I think he can take his time. I think he can look at his options. Um, but I have a feeling that that's what's going to happen. And once, once they announce that, uh, the rest of the dominoes will fall. I, I'm concerned about snow globes falling on each other as dominoes and breaking. It just seems like a big mess to me. Well, um, I think that it's important, too, to, to look at Doc Rivers' overall, his, his resume. You know, I think... Adam, you're talking about him at a time when others in the media are saying that he's not as good and he's overrated because he's just lost his third uh, three three to one uh, his, his third comeback uh, in the playoff series three one in his career. I mean that's that's a big statement, but let's look at the rest of his resume a little bit. He surpassed Red Auerbach in total wins this year. 943 that puts him one away from the 10th spot all time held by bill fitch with 944 wins here's the list of coaches on that list from top to bottom don nelson lenny wilkins greg popovich jerry sloan pat riley george carl phil jackson larry brown rick adelman and then next is bill fitch doc rivers and red Auerbach. that's that's the list i mean he's on that list already he's won one coach of the year award um if you know he's He'll he'll be ninth in ninth place in two seasons of mediocre basketball with Philly, and I think if you look at like, like just to put him historically, if you look at the top, the Mount Rushmore of of NBA coaches, in my opinion, it's Phil Jackson, Red Auerbach, Greg Popovich, Pat Riley, and and to me, it's really clear. We can have another podcast breaking that down if you want. But the other guys on that list, like the Donnie Nelsons who is number one in wins, but never, never won a championship. Lenny Wilkins. Don Nelson, Brown, not Sloan. Donnie. Yeah, Don. Um, but Jerry Sloan, Larry Brown, I mean, those are really good coaches, but you're not thinking like, man, that guy's, you're not thinking Larry Brown's the best coach in NBA history, right? And I think that's kind of where Doc Rivers falls in that next tier historically, which I think is pretty amazing considering, you know, where he came from and, and what was going on in Orlando when he first started coaching. And, um, He's he's had a good run. Doesn't Don Nelson get like elevated into that tier one status just by virtue of his post coaching career evolution as an as a person to this like pot smoking hippie that like is wearing all black? Um, he just kind of became totally baller in his his post coaching career. Does that not? Are we not counting that? 
I know nothing about well, this. This is complete yes. news to me. What, what are you talking about? Okay, well, you can go and Google it if you want. This is a family-friendly show, so we're not condoning any ballerness like that. We're about real ballers here and real coaches here, right? <laughs> Got it. Okay, okay. Understood. Um, I, do th- I do think Mike was, is right that if the Clippers were going to hire Lou, they would have done it already. What, what are they waiting for? You talked about the I, dominoes, Josh, but... Yeah, I don't. I don't think... I don't think they made this move with their primary objective to hire Ty Lue. I think it's a possible outcome for sure. It's probably their like fallback option and it's a, a great fallback option. You know, Lou is, is a great coach. I, I do think it's really challenging, right? Culturally to go from kind of a team of scrappy um, kind of under the radar performers like the Clippers had the season before this past one. Um, right. And they retained a lot of the, the individuals, Pat Beverly, they retained Lou Williams, uh, Montrez Harrell. Um, and then Zubach. But then all of a sudden, instead of those guys just being part of like being the guys, right. It was just like, they had nine guys in that roster from, from the, a year ago. Now they were all kind of clearly second class behind Kawhi and Paul George. And and based on what's kind of come out for that team, it doesn't it doesn't sound like that necessarily jived very well um, uh, across the locker room. I think, you know, some sometimes patterns that form in certain uh, team dynamics like that, the best course of action is to get a different person at the at the helm. Not which isn't to speak to Rivers' quality as a coach, but it's saying that maybe he just wasn't the right voice for that group of personalities anymore. Yeah, I think Balmer decided uh, we are not winning. We have a two-year window, and I expect to win, and so I need to make a change. And one of the great mysteries in NBA history for me is going to be what dynamic, what what impact the dynamic between Rivers and. Paul George and the other family stuff related to the Curry's and his daughter and Paul George's relationship history. What impact uh, that had uh, on, on, on the situation as well as the bubble. Cause I know that a lot of players really struggled in the bubble and some, some worse than others. And my understanding was that Paul George had a, a tougher time. Um, I, I'm really And so to give that. some insight, to give some insight to the listeners, if you didn't know Seth Curry, not Steph Curry, but Seth Curry, was dating uh, Doc Rivers' daughter. He's, he is married. Then, he is married to then, Doc Rivers' daughter. Oh, right. Yeah, he exactly. Paul George was dating Doc Rivers' yes. daughter, and they broke up, and then he married. she married Steph Curry, uh, Seth Curry. Yes, because Paul George <laughs> cheated on her. Oh, I didn't know that part. And had, okay. a, had a child with the woman that he cheated on her with. Oh, no, I did read that with a stripper, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I have no idea. This is, you know, pure, ridiculous conjecture. But, but yes, to think correct. that that kind of a situation doesn't have an impact on the relationship. And, you know, Doc is, is known as the, potentially the number one ego manager in the NBA as a coach. And Mike, you know, if you're evaluating coaching without talking about this leadership of men piece, I think that is a massive piece of coaching. I think Doc is... You know, you compare him to X's other coaches, Nurse and Stevens, who are X's and O's, or Popovich, who, uh, who who like runs an entire team and creates a whole culture and a system. 
Rivers falls short, but that ego management is huge. And he is so well-respected that that is, that is a really important part of my evaluation of him as a top three to five coach in the league. So, okay. Can we move oh, on? But Adam, you're, you're, yeah, you're, at, well, you, you're uh, asking about why Teron Liu, why they wouldn't hire him already. And I think that that gets into well, who else is out there that they may be looking at or who, what other vacancies are open that Ty Lu might be looking at. Yeah. Well, so just briefly, Josh, do you think that Ty Lu is, is uh, he hasn't made his decision yet? Or do you think it's the other way that the Clippers don't know who they want yet? Which one? I, I don't know. And, and I mean, it could be stuff with, uh, you know, his agent and, and that whole deal. Yeah. Right. We'll, we'll get to these vacancies. To take over. Yeah. I want, I want to get to the other side though, Adam, of, of the original question you asked, which is yeah. doc on the Sixers. Perfect. Um, and, and I also want to touch on what you, you just kind of reiterated. I, I think it's absurd to call doc a top five coach in the NBA, just period. I, I just disagree with that. Um, I think that, you know, yes, he he is allegedly a good leader of personalities, but if you wind it back, it didn't really go that well in L.A. with the first star turn. Uh, it apparently didn't go that well with the second star turn, the first one being obviously CP3 and Blake the second one now being Kawhi and Paul George, it went really well in Boston, but maybe that's because KG was such a phenomenal leader in addition to being the best player on the team. Um, So when you look at, I mean, Doc always knows what's to say, and that counts for a lot, right? And Doc has retained really strong relationships with a lot of ex-players. So I'm not saying he doesn't have skill there, but I also think it, it can be a little bit overstated. And for example, I think if you're Philadelphia 76ers management and think Doc is going to come in and save this Embiid, Ben Simmons dynamic, I think you're in for a rude awakening. Because I don't think Doc has this, the magic bullet, uh, the silver bullet, whatever it is, to fix that. And I, but that, but Mike, <laughs> there was that's a tweet. an opinion that you have about about that fit for with those two guys together. Do you right? You don't think those guys? But that, fit that's part. Period, that's right. That's part of it. But that's the point. Is like, <laughs> so there was just there was a tweet by our friend at, at Liberty Ballers, uh, quote tweeting um, Keith Pompey. Uh, so Keith Pompey tweeted that. Elton Brand said that he and Doc Rivers are going to collaborate on personnel decisions. And Liberty Ballers quote tweeted that by just having like the, the gritted teeth smiley face. <laughs> and I think that really sums it up. It's, you know, if this, if Doc Rivers is going to be trying to kind of manage personnel, which as you noted, Adam did not go well in, in LA, Elton Brand's track record is pretty spotty uh, as an outsider from my perspective. Um, I just, I just think that doc going to the 76ers, I I feel like their management thinks that they hit a home run and I think they're going to strike out. Wow. I mean, I, I, Jackie McMullen talked about, uh, she suggested that doc take a year off, that this was not the best job for him. I like this hire a lot for Philly. I think there was like, they should feel really lucky that they could get doc. Um, and, but, but it's, 
I love this Philly fan base. They are just so unhappy. I was listening to the um, the rights to Ricky Sanchez, and they they could almost not care less that Doc Rivers was hired. They they, they like it, but they're so focused on shifting the the general manager and the executive leadership of the team that that it's almost like this hiring doesn't matter to them. One of them likened this to being in college and choosing your classes, even though you know you're about to drop out. <laughs> they're so they're just so depressed, the whole fan base. What were you gonna say, Josh? Um I don't even know now. <laughs> they're just like, who cares that we hired Doc Rivers? Because our front office is such a mess, so I yeah, wonder. I, mean, look, I wonder if you, more moves are coming on for that team. Yeah, you got to move some pieces around. I think you got to get rid of Tobias Harris or get more out of him. And I don't know how you. I mean, there's talk that Tobias Harris had his best season under Doc Rivers, and that's when he signed that that first bigger deal that he had in free agency and left the Clippers. Right. Um, but it, it's. I think that if you're looking to hire a coach for this team, the way this team was built, I mean, it was misbuilt. So you've got a cluster of a roster and contracts that are albatrosses. The best you can do is get in the best coaching option you can, right? And if you've got two superstars who maybe need some motivation issues, that you know, I think Doc's the guy for that. And Mike, that may not mean that Doc's going to bring him to the championship, but that also doesn't mean that Doc's not one of the best coaches in the NBA and obviously top 10 all time, I think. I and just, so, sorry, but I, I, you, I, got, I, you got a difficult situation here in Philly and you got to move some pieces around and get some new, new life. And doc will do that. I just think the, that if you're operating on the premise that your coach is going to motivate your players to elite performance, then you're already thinking about it wrong. And that's, that's the problem I have. Like, some but coaches that says nothing may not about be Doc Rivers as a coach. But, that's but just your just, opinion of those players on that team. No, but it's but it's it matters about how people talk about Doc Rivers as a coach because they talk about him like he can manage these difficult personalities and and get them to perform well. And I think if your personalities are so diff so difficult, it, it doesn't matter if someone can mask that tumult. Like they're probably not going to win. I think you're like, talking look, about you're talking about two things, Mike. One is is bringing egos together to to become one team, and the other is motivating players. Unfortunately, Philadelphia has both problems. Like you're right, Doc Rivers may not be able to get Joel Embiid to get in shape and actually be able to play a full season, but he might be able to get. Simmons and Embiid to put their egos aside and figure out a way to play together. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they played together under Brett Brown. Like, do you really do you really think Doc Rivers is going to get them to play together much better than Brett Brown did? These are the challenges you face as a Philadelphia fan yeah. when your team has Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons on it. I know, but I, just to answer that question, guys. answer that question, like. Yes. Like, Here's what I think. Yes, I Brett do think Brown will not find another job in the NBA. I don't think that. I think that the Brett Brown thing was so specific to knowing Ben Simmons and them drafting him and you know catering to him that like he was just he's the perfect person for that situation for that team at that time. 
I don't think that he's the perfect NBA coach or even that great of an NBA coach. And, and his path to the NBA, you know, wasn't uh, one that showed a ton of success. And, and you know, he, it's not like he earned that position outside of knowing Ben Simmons and his family in Australia and coaching in Australia. It was kind of a unique situation. And so I think if you get a, a coach who can, as much as people knock Doc Rivers' lack of ability to make adjustments late in games, Brett Brown was far worse. And, uh, you know, Doc Rivers, just, just the pedigree alone is going to, and the voice and the fact that he's won and the players haven't won anything. I mean, Brett Brown, when he says, we, this is what we need to do to win, he's never won at that level. Doc Rivers has, so he can say that, and the players, I think, are going to listen a little bit differently. And after going through what they went through with Brett Brown, I think you know now is kind of a good time for a bigger wake-up call, you know, for for both of those players. Like the whole, all the stuff with Embiid and Charles Barkley is now in the past. He's had time to think about that, and he's lost trying to do it his own way, and he still needs another step to go, and he needs another mentor and someone who's been there. Doc Rivers has. I think it makes a big difference to these stars, Mike. And Mike, I would add that if you listen to Jimmy Butler talk about his time in Philadelphia and what he was yeah. trying to do there and what Mike, Mike, uh, Brett Brown was not doing, Brett Brown was not holding players accountable. There was no voice saying, you have to do this. And Jimmy Butler tried to do that, and it did not go over well because there was nobody else supporting that. Um, and, and that's the why they shipped with, him out. The whole thing with Doc is that he gives stars preferential treatment. That was the whole right, thing in LA. Point, that was a whole issue. Yes. But not to the point where you're you're just Mr. Positivity and everyone's like running all over the head coach like they did with Brett Brown. That's not going to happen with Doc Rivers. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I'm I will be curious to see. Yeah, we will see, and I will be curious to see that at some point, Doc Rivers' tenure in Philadelphia will end. Will they trade him for a number one draft pick? That's what I want to know. I'm, I'm guessing no. So Danny Ainge still gets one over Philly. Uh, they were considering hiring, Philly was, Mike D'Antoni. Um, and I thought that was a terrible fit um, just because of his offense. I, I was also kind of surprised that he was out in Houston. Um, uh, there was a whole uh, situation there between the ownership and Daryl Morey and the head coach. I mean, it was it was not surprising given the fact that he had, had no extension and was on the last year of his contract. Kind of like, how were you surprised by that? Like we were talking about that last September, <laughs> but that team went all in on D'Antoni's style of ball. And he seemed to be a good fit for what Maury is trying to do. Uh, I'm curious about whether you guys, uh, what do you think is, is in the future in Houston? Like who, who, let's not get into names of who they would hire, but are they going in a different direction? Is this a, a Daryl Morey saving his job? Like, what do you think is happening there? I, I have no idea. Uh, well, Tillman Fertitta is known as being cheap. And so that might be one of the reasons why D'Antoni's out. I would expect them to hire somebody young and cheap who wants another chance. Um, like a Kenny Atkinson, I think would fit that bill. Or you, yeah, even an Alvin Gentry, you know, someone who'd be happy with, being back as a head coach again. Um, but again, you've got a roster built for D'Antoni specifically. And anywhere D'Antoni goes, you need to have a roster that's built specifically for him. So Josh mentioned Kenny Atkinson. Let's talk about the Nets. Uh, before we do, we're going to take a quick break. Welcome back. Uh, we were talking about the coaching carousel, the 
the I keep wanting to say the New Jersey Nets, the Brooklyn Nets. Kenny Atkinson is out. I thought he was done kind of dirty. I would love to see him get another opportunity in the NBA. I think he's fantastic. Uh, but they hired Steve Nash. Uh, we, we were just talking about Doc Rivers and managing egos. And there's some interesting quotes coming out uh, of, of uh, Brooklyn, specifically with Kyrie Irving. Mike, I want to throw it to you. What has Kyrie been saying about Steve Nash is higher and the, and the way that coaching is going to work with that team? Well, uh, before I get to that, I'm going to talk about what Kyrie has been saying said about uh, Kenny Atkinson while he was denying uh, being responsible for firing Kenny Atkinson. Uh, and oh my God, I of... can't wait. <laughs> so I w- from Kyrie, I want to give a shout out to Kenny Atkinson because some people came out and was like, yo, Kai and KD got Kenny fired. And look, that was completely false. Listen. Kenny was great for the group that he served, and I was very appreciative of what he was giving us throughout the season we were playing. We always heard how great Nash was, or saw how great Nash was as a player, but also when you get to know him as a person, you understand why he can coexist with us, yada, yada, yada. I want somebody, I need somebody that's going to understand that I am a human being first. I serve my community, blah, blah, blah. It's no disrespect to Kenny or any other coaches I played with. It's just Steve coming in at this moment and then following up with putting together a great coaching core was going to make us more successful. So he's basically talking about how he didn't get Kenny fired, but how he didn't like anything Kenny was doing. Um, yeah, Kenny wasn't then, a good fit for the team. And he wasn't a is. good fit. Yeah. So they, but I'm sure he had fired. nothing to do with Kenny getting fired. Yeah. Um, as far as what he was talking about with, with coaching, you know, both KD and Kyrie have a vision of a collaborative apo- approach to coaching. According to um, according to Kyrie, they will be there won't be a a head coach it, per se. It you know it's going to change the way we see coaches. I don't really see us having a head coach. KD could be a head coach. I could be a head coach. This is Kyrie. Durant, this was on Kevin Durant's podcast, etc. Uh, the the etc. Um, Durant then continued, Jacques Vaughn could do it one day. It's a collaborative effort on our part. So my reaction to all of this is, thank God Kyrie is no longer on the Boston Celtics. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, it. he is it's, it's, drilling a hole through that team already. It's that's uh, There's no way that that team is going to have the cohesion that it needs with, with him as playing a leadership role. He, he just doesn't See, get it. Kyrie is what I think of when I, it's like the flaw in the argument about the importance of Doc's like personality management, because like Ty Lu had success managing Kyrie's personality to a degree, but really it was because they had LeBron. And LeBron was so great, he could he could cover up for all of the chaos that Kyrie creates in a locker room. Mike, you also missed the quote where Kyrie, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, basically said uh, having KD on a teammate as, as a teammate is so great because there's a guy who can hit the shot at the end of the game. And Kyrie That's has true. always thought of himself as that guy. He said, I've never been on a team where there was another guy that I looked at and said, oh, he can hit that shot too. And I'm like, he played with LeBron. Yeah, he played with some pretty bad players. <laughs> and and our boy Kendrick Perkins has been outspoken about that as well, right? Yep. Um, it's it's amazeballs 
it's crazy what he's saying. I mean, let me give him credit for one thing, right? The the idea of being a, a person first and absolutely, a human being I have no first issue with instead that. Of, right, and I used to say that to to players I was recruiting as a college coach. You know, that was part of my pitch: is we're going to look at you like a person first and a player second, because there's a lot of coaches and teams that don't. You're a commodity, and you know we're going to check in with you if you got something going on. Let us know. We've had you know players who would you know had something difficult going on in their family and they would come to us before practice and be like hey i still showed up but i'm I'm not feeling good right now this person got in trouble and my family's going through it and and you know they were not the same during that practice or during that week and we talk about it and we let them know you know like that's that's okay you, you let us know that you know and there's other places where you can't even tell your coach something like that you better show up and perform and and make it and hide everything like that right and so there's a lot of athletes and people in the sports world who are kind of done with that old school version of sports where you just have to hide any emotions or any feelings or anything like that. Right. And so that's, this is the one area that, that Kyrie is more conscious than most. Um, but he just overdoes it so much to the point that he's a, he's, he's literally a coach killer. I, I mean, Steve Nash is not going to last there. I, and he's, he's one of the greats in terms of one of the great people, you know, in, in sports, um, one of the great people for, for Toronto and, and all of Canada and the way he's gotten the Canadian basketball uh, development system up and running there, you know, basically creating that from scratch or overhauling that uh, about 10 years ago. And it's just his energy, the way the way he is um, and, and everything he's picked up from Steve Kerr and the different environments he's been around. Like he's, he's again, like Doc Rivers, I think the perfect person for that situation. And I still don't think it's going to work. I still, I can't wait for the first time that we see him visibly angry over whatever Kyrie and Durant are trying to pull. Um, it's, and, and just that tandem right there with Kyrie thinking he's a leader, but totally inept and unable to do any kind of leadership and Durant not wanting to do any kind of leadership, but uh, at least having like the, the, the clout to do so but you know it's just it's gonna crash and burn so hard and uh, i'm looking forward to seeing where karis levert or spencer dinwiddie end up when it does because i think those are two assets and joe harris that that will help uh some teams in the playoffs if they can get a hand on those those guys what's their center's name oh god yeah He's your uh, boy, jared, allen. Allen. jared, jared allen, allen yeah yeah, yeah let's well, get him so Kyrie has Him mentioned too. Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie a lot as like his boys. So I think they're, you know, Kyrie's the GM of this team. So they are, um, I think they're going to be there, but I haven't heard Jared Allen's name as much. Uh, I think Joe Harris is out, Josh. He's a free agent and I don't think they're going to pay him what, what he'll get someplace else. Um, Kyrie's narcissism knows no bounds. This team, they're going to have Kyrie and K- a healthy Kyrie and KD, assumedly with this roster, with Steve Nash, Josh, you just said you think it's going to crash and burn. My question was, should we be afraid? Is this, is this team going to give the Celtics um, a push in the, or, or be better than them in the Atlantic division? Mike, what do you think? Are you concerned? Um, I mean, look, KD is when healthy, a top three player in the NBA. So you can't, you can't rule them out of, of winning 50 plus games. And Boston, you know, we won, it was a shorter season, but we won 48 games this past year. We would have probably won like 54-ish in a full season. 
Um, so I, I think that they're going to be in the conversation. Um, Kyrie is a very good offensive basketball player, um, though it's unclear if his teams actually perform better when he's healthy uh, based on the last three or four seasons of, of data. Um, I d- you can't rule it out. I'm, but yeah. I, I agree with Josh that there is like real kind of implosion potential here. Um, and I think, you know, it's just everything Kyrie says, I, I, I like to think of myself as someone that um, brings a, a fair bit of conscientiousness to like team building and everything Kyrie says, the way he frames everything is just anti team cohesion. It's, it's remarkable. And he like puts people like Steve Nash or, or teammates that have an orientation towards team cohesion in like unwinnable positions. The, the way he frames things because they're so it's so pointed it's so him centric that you become forced to basically either conform to this kind of warped presentation of of reality that he's offering or you are running contrary to him so you're you're already kind of working uphill just trying to like foster uh, a collective identity it's it's kind of remarkable in its terribleness from a team building perspective. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting too because um, Steve Nash is up on all of the academic research on team cohesion, all of the sports psychology stuff. I mean, from from sampling lots of different sports and continuing to sample sports throughout his career, um, not just his primary sport, to you know, just being Canadian and having access to the type of sports psychology people who are out there. Uh, shout out to Wade Gilbert, uh, professor at Fresno State, who worked with Sven Nader on Coach John and Coach John Wooden on the coaching pyramid of success. And you know, in terms of team cohesion, like those, all of those Canadians, um, th- they made an impact in uh, in the sports psychology world academically. And so Steve, he knows those people and is up to date on all that stuff. And so he's kind of like, even though he, he doesn't have coaching experience in the NBA, he's, he's got all of the development experience and the team cohesion knowledge. And so, he, I mean, it's kind of like the perfect person to be put to the test to see if Kyrie Irving can just break down anyone. <laughs> okay. So we think the Nets will implode. Not too concerned about that. It sounds well, like... Well, Adam... I, I would put them in the same category as the Philadelphia 76ers, where they're going to be a team in the East with a lot of talent and uh, high expectations. And they're going to put some fear in a lot of fans and fan bases. Um, you know, earlier in the season, you, you two were both talking about the Philadelphia 76ers as like the team that we needed to get through to get to the, the finals. And, you know, obviously it didn't go like that, but they have the talent to do that and the expectations are there. I think that with a healthy Durant, like Mike said, anything is possible. I, if I'm betting, if I'm guessing, it's going to be an implosion though towards the end. Um, But there'll be a fake uh, threat for the regular season. Okay. So two fake threats in the Nets and the Sixers. Let's stay in the Atlantic division. Billy Donovan was, uh, that seemed like a mutual decision with the Thunder 
Thunder are going in, in a different direction, rebuilding. He didn't want to be a part of that. He's hired by the Chicago Bulls, <clears throat> rebuilding. Uh, any concerns there? Any fear from the Bulls, you guys? Well, they're in the Central well, Division. Right? I was going to say, my only concern uh, was that you called the Bulls uh, an Atlantic Division team. But uh, no, I'm not worried about the Bulls. But but the Knicks, Adam, is that who you were thinking about? in the Atlantic? Well, I was going to go there next. I mean, I was just going to hit these quickly since it doesn't matter. Donovan, Bulls, so what? Knicks, hire Tom Thibodeau. I don't even Who was their coach before? I don't even remember. Genuinely can't answer that question. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. I'm going to Google it right now. That team is going to be bad. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I'm that's... really excited. Um, oh, I can't even remember their – oh, Knox. I'm really excited to see, like, the shades of purple Thibodeau turns trying to get Knox to play consistent defense. Like – Fizdale. Oh, yeah. Fizz got... But then oh, after Fizdale. they fired Fizdale, who was their interim coach? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Um, anyway, yes, next, next, no one, no one cares about the next. Um, were there Who? any other firings that, uh, oh yeah. Um, Nate McMullen, Indiana Pacers. Yes. Um, right. and that's Alvin Gentry, New Orleans Pelicans. I was going to talk about Gentry. I, I, I uh, no, I was going to talk about Dwayne Casey with what he was like, go by New Orleans, right? Or was it Gentry? No, Gentry. Yeah. Dwayne Casey is Detroit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so Gentry out with New Orleans, well-respected coach, lauded for his mentorship. Uh, like I, that kind of surprised me a little bit. I mean, obviously he was there from a previous regime um, with, uh, hey, from Cleveland. What's his name? I love like how the Brown. No, they're the GM in, in New Orleans. Oh, David Griffin. David Griffin. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I thought they had worked together before. Um, Josh, I, I want. They were in Phoenix yeah. together. I wanted to get your your thoughts on on that, Josh. Um, why Gentry was let go there? What you thought about the fit with him and and Zion, and and why not continue with him? Um, I think there's a trend. There's like a pocket of time in an NBA coach's career when there's a transition, like in New Orleans. You know, you got a young team, and Gentry was with the the last iteration of the New Orleans Pelicans team. And so it would be good to have some continuity as Zion comes in, Griffin takes over, and there's like roster shakeup. You want some continuity, but it's kind of like a lame duck period sometimes um, because the new, new GM is probably going to hire someone new unless unless you come out and do an amazing job and win a bunch of games. I think that you know there's a lot you could say about what they how they played Zion, and let's say. You know, if they had just let Zion play, like let's say it was 1995, and you know you don't have the medical information you have now, and and you're just letting Zion play, would Gentry still have a job because that team's way better and had to have a better record and make the playoffs? You know, uh, that's interesting to think about. But I think Gentry, you know, if you had asked him in the beginning of the season, was he still going to be there in three years? I think he knew in his heart, it, probably not. Um, and you know, the same thing with Kenny Atkinson you know, with, with a new coach coming in and, um, or a new, sorry, a new, you know, the, the two star players that they have making their decisions, it's, um, it's kind of a lame duck period for Kenny Atkinson too. And I think you knew that going into the season and then he did better than expected, but you're still not going to keep them if the two star players who are running the show want someone else. Um, and it's kind of a, a sacrifice to be one of those coaches. You know, you got to take those lumps. 
So there's a number of coaches on the market. Uh, we've heard Jeff Van Gundy's name bandied about. We've talked about Ty Lue. We've talked about D'Antoni, um, Brett Brown, Nate McMillan. I mean, it's interesting to hear you say, Josh, that you don't think Brown will get another head coaching job in the NBA. Uh, we've heard Juwan Howard's name, but I don't think that's going to happen. Mark Jackson always comes up. Kenny Atkinson, we mentioned, Dave Yeager, Mike Brown. And then there's this list of up-and-coming assistant coaches that um, Kevin Artovitz has a great uh, article on ESPN that he he updates every year of these up-and-coming guys, guys like Charles Lee, who coached under Buds in Atlanta and Milwaukee, Wes Unsell Jr., David Adelman, Jordy Fernandez, all three of them with the Nuggets, as well as Darvin Ham. He's been getting a lot of interest. Old friend Adrian Griffin, uh, who's under nurse in Toronto, Pat Delaney, uh, Steve Hetzel, in or- also in Orlando with Pat Delaney, Brian Keefe in OKC, Chris Finch in New Orleans, Jerron Collins, Anthony Grant, Jamal Mosley, Stephen Silas in Dallas. Uh, there's a bunch of oh, Lindsay Gottlieb. You got to mention her, former head coach at Cal um, in U- UCSB. Um, she would be great. There, there's a, Every time Ime I read Udoka. this, this huh? yep. Ime Udoka is another yeah, one from the Spurs. Um, I'm, I always look at this list to see if Jay Laranega or another Celtic assistant is on there because he they have been at, at points in the past. But there's a there's, and then you, a, there's a ton of up and coming assistants, and and I'm curious to to hear your thoughts on on these folks, and maybe we can also look at the list of openings and see who might make it make sense there. I I'm really curious. I mean. I think the two coaches that I'm most curious about seeing in another head coaching role are Ty Lue, who obviously won a championship, but it was with LeBron. I'd love to see him in another challenging situation with a talented team and see, you know, I, frankly, just for him to have the opportunity to kind of prove uh, himself as a coach outside of kind of the LeBron uh, vortex. Um, and I'm also, I think D- Dave Yeager has proven, proven himself to be an exceptional coach um, that is also extremely competitive with management, which I'm sure makes him un- a little less appealing than he otherwise would be um, for people potentially hiring him. But I'd love to see him like in New Orleans or um, Indiana. I think I think he could be really interesting for both of those franchises. I, I guess I'd prefer him in New Orleans because uh, I don't want Indiana to get better. So, I think David Fisdale is solid also. So, so here are the openings. Uh, you I got, agree. Wait, hang on, Adam. Yeah. Let me add a couple more to that list. Yeah. Former Celtic Jason Terry is also someone who's put his name out there, really? along with Chauncey Billups, yeah, who also Chauncey. wants a head coaching position. Isn't Chauncey? Um, and then, isn't yeah, there like he, there's somebody attached to him, or he's attached to somebody else? Uh, sure. I don't. I don't know about that. I thought Chauncey. I mean, Chauncey's also potentially positioning for a, a front office role. He, he's looking at both coaching and front office opportunities should, when, yeah. the, when the fit is right. I thought he shifted away from front office and said he wanted to coach. Oh, did he do that? I, yeah. I know. I know he was in the conversation at various points. Like I think for the De- Detroit front office job. Or, or maybe it wasn't Detroit for one of the front office jobs. He was in a conversation and, and kind of back took himself out of the running because he determined it wasn't the right fit. But um, yeah, I, I think he would be and great then, as, in been, either capacity. There have been reports that Ty Lu wants to include Chauncey Billups in wherever he gets hired as his top assistant. Right. And then there's Jason Kidd kind of in that same yes. category of former players 
Um, I, I think it's the teams that are not the desirable locations are going to have a, a chance to get some of those young assistant coaches. Um, and, you know, they're going to want to spend less because they're usually smaller markets. And you can throw Houston into that with their owner. Um, but I don't think like the better teams, like the Thunder, who are ready for the playoffs, um, or the Clippers, if they don't choose Ty Lue, like I don't think they're looking for one of those young assistants. They need to. They need someone. They need a name. Um, and and even David Fisdale's in that category. Like I, I think he's a great coach, but he's not a name like that. Um, so yeah. you've got here are the openings. You've got the Clippers, the Rockets, the Pacers, the Thunder, and the Pelicans. And I tried to do that in in order of recent success. Um, so I assume the Clippers are by far the number one landing spot for any coach, right? Yeah. So, and we talked about Ty Lue, anybody else that should be seriously considered that, that names you've heard bandied about? No one is obvious to me there. I mean, D'Antoni could be fascinating, but I don't, I don't actually want to see that. And I don't think it's a great fit. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have no. I I mean, on the the mismatch podcast on the NBA Ringer podcast, um, they were saying that alleged, you know, allegedly or a rumor was that the Balmer was going to be going after Coach K. But yeah, sure, of course he is. I'm, I'm sure. He, yeah, throw throw forty forty million dollars a year at him. Um, I don't know, Josh. Who do you think for the Clippers? Well, so. Yeah, I mean, there's that whole list of the college coaches who could move up to the NBA that's always the same every year. Jay Wright should be the Philadelphia 76ers coach because of all the success he's had. And I, I mean, it's just, it's that's just such a tough transition. And it's kind of been proven a little bit more successful if you're not an elderly college coach like a Jim Beheim who had a lot of success at Michigan, right? It's if you're younger, like a Brad Stevens, it's usually a little bit more likely or of, of having resulting in success. Uh, but for the Clippers, I, I mean, I really think that it's Ty Lue and I think we're just waiting to, to figure out what behind the scenes needs to get um, shaken up like a snow globe. All right. Houston Rockets. Uh, you know, who would really fit their system is Mike D'Antoni. No, you know, no one will fit their system because they got Russell Westbrook. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you need a pace and space coach there. I like your idea of Atkinson, Josh. I mean, that, that I can't decide if that's a desirable place or not, given the Tillman Fertitta situation and, and he, like that. You're right, Josh. He's, his reputation is that he's cheap. Uh, I, we all expected Daryl Morey to be out this year and maybe he's got another year left, but I can't imagine that he's, he's going to be there that much longer. Uh, it's right. Whoever clear. takes over that job is not still going to be the head coach four years from now. It's that's an, a lame duck job, you know. So it's a young person who wants their first head coaching position, or guy like Kenny Atkinson who wants to get that again. <laughs> the same thing he just did as being a temporary hire, kind of. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean they're they're competing still. That's a tough situation for Harden to be in. Okay, Indiana. They outperformed. They've always had trouble getting free agents there, but they've got a nice roster and they've made some really nice uh, moves to, to 
put them in a good position and they may have some opportunity to continue to make moves this off season. That's it's a playoff team. They're trying to continue to make the playoffs. It's not like they're rebuilding, uh, but they're unlikely to, to get the top names. And uh, Josh, who do you see going there? I like Ime Udoka there. I think that he's, um, you know, the, the Pacers, system their roster it's it's similar to the spurs and that they're trying to be high character and play team basketball the right way and so having a guy like udoka who comes from that pedigree um and who's you know young and and i think finally now ready for his first job i think that's a good spot it's it's proven to be kind of a stable spot for coaches as well so not too high of a risk for a young coach for their first head coaching job um i could see david fisdale doing a good job there as well mike do you see up and coming there or more established um i mean if i were i again i just i gravitate towards jaeger because he's proven himself to be able to get teams to perform i think towards the top of their talent you know what you might expect from their talent and they have a talented team in indiana um and they just they just need someone that can get that can push the right button so i would go for given that there's some really good established coaches available i would go for established yeah i think i would too i think you need you you need to maintain the level that they're at or try and improve uh okc thunder they are rebuilding with their war chest of of draft picks uh, I'm expecting an up-and-comer there. Uh, See, and- this is one I actually think would be really fun for D'Antoni. Uh, he loved Chris Paul. Um, I think Danilo Gallinari would fit nicely if they resigned him, which they might not. Uh, SGA in that open system would be really fun. Um, they don't have a lot of shooting. They'd have to they'd have to get more shooting for to work with. Dan Tony, but I I think that could be a fun match. So uh, is that assuming that they're not rebuilding? I mean, Dan Tony's old enough. I don't think he's going to want to wait five years to go through a rebuild. Yeah, that would be assuming that they're that they're reloading instead of rebuilding. Yeah, I, I would have guessed they would have kept Donovan if they were going to do that. Well, do you guys remember how Dan Tony reacted when Paul was traded? Yeah, he was pissed. Westbrook? He was okay. Yeah, yeah he was it, he was like I mean he he didn't say it quite like that cuz he was trying to be the good soldier but he was like I think Chris Paul is phenomenal. <laughs> like sad to see him go basically. <laughs> and then, you know, are you, if you're Sam Presti, are you hiring someone for Chris Paul or are you kind of expecting that Chris Paul is in is a temporary hire and and you know, you know, you're going to either try to trade his contract for a better asset with less years on it, maybe, uh, or you're just waiting until his contract ends and, and you're staying competitive as you create culture with a bunch of young draft picks. So, you know, yeah, Chris yeah. Paul came out today and said, I just love hooping. I just love playing basketball. It doesn't matter that I'm oh. here and that I might not be competing. I just like playing. And I, oh. I, I'm just blessed to be 35 years old and playing at a high level. I think they sat down with Billy Donovan and they said, we cannot guarantee you that we will continue to build a roster that is going to be competitive. We are want to go in a different direction. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but we can't continue. We can't guarantee you that we will be competitive. And the fact that Donovan left means that that conversation happened to me. 
So And the fact that he went to the Bulls means he's just not very smart. <laughs> <laughs> that is the only No guys. They let him go, right? He didn't leave. They let him go. Yeah, they let him go because he didn't want to be there. The reason he didn't want to be there is because they uh, they had that conversation. That's how I imagine that went down. And so, but then you're not going to go to the Chicago Bulls, a, a, a even worse rebuilding team. That is the confusing see, part of it. Yeah, that's why I don't agree with with your assessment. Well, so, but I, I do think that that um, Sam Presti is is rebuilding. Uh, this is not a championship team right now. Um, I mean, maybe it's what's interesting is that maybe they can take a quarter of their assets and get another really good player and actually be a real competitor in the next year or two and still have all of those other assets. But my guess is that that's not the direction the team will go and that Presti is going to try and get as much value as possible from Paul, um, from uh, um, the center. What's his name? Um, Adams. Yeah, Stephen Adams and and the older players on the team. it may not be in the next half season or even full season, but the longer he waits, the more value Chris Paul will have, I think, because of that contract is insane. So um, that's what I expect to happen. And I think you need a coach that aligns with that. I mean, Chris Paul's contract actually isn't that bad at this point. He yeah, was looking at it now. Left. How many more years? It, and how it's much? two. It's a, this year and next year. And he performed yeah. at a really high level this year. Like compared to Russell Westbrook's, which has one additional year on it and is more per year, like Chris Paul's contract looks amazing. What's Paul making? Um, I think it's like high thirties. I think it's like thirty-eight. I thought it was in the four, in the forties. He's not signed through. I think he's. Um, it might be no, it yeah, it might okay. be in the forties. I'm not looking at it. No. All right. Um, anything else on that that Thunder team and their coaching search? Um, I think there's there's kind of like a dark horse possibility where you have Chris Paul and and just his the weight he carries in the players association and around the league and maybe him having the ability to connect to a Jason Kidd or a Chauncey Billups um, and and maybe kind of like a, a world where that happens. Hmm. I mean, why not? Why hire a coach at all? Can't they just take turns? I think they you know. Kyrie Irving should just be a player coach. I think he should be the Yeah, you know, this guy could coach, that guy could coach. Yeah. Heck, I could coach. Yeah, well, I'll take a turn. Can you guys imagine Kyrie Irving as a head coach? As a player coach or a head coach? As an actual head coach, which he said he could do. No. It depends. Tell me the team and I'll either enjoy like like throw him on the Lakers and I would love that. Throw him on the Celtics? No, I I, I refuse to imagine that. Okay, we let's talk about the Pelicans, the last remaining open spot. That's a desirable location. Uh, I, I mean, wouldn't you want to coach that team? They've got a ton of young talent, um, a, a front office that is finally supporting uh, that that team, and and I'm sorry, a, an ownership group that is supporting the team finally, and a front office that has their stuff together. Uh, you haven't heard much about them. They're kind of waiting for these these uh, snow globe dominoes to fall, right, Josh? Well, so that's the one I feel like is a, a decent fit for D'Antoni with mm-hmm. the way Lonzo Ball played in high school and college at UCLA. You, you know, that's kind of the D'Antoni style. Um, and I think that could revitalize his career. Um, whether it's good for Zion, I'm not so sure. But it also kind of fits the mold of going from, 
the temporary hire lame duck coach to the one who's you know been known for winning games at a high level but maybe not getting their teams all the way there and that's kind of the next stage the pelicans want to be in they want to make the playoffs and perennially be there and over the next three years get to a point where they could be in the in the championship conversation and then i don't know if you're looking at d'antoni to stay on um so if they hire someone who, especially someone like D'Antoni, who's a little bit older, 67, I think, then you'd want to do, I think, a three-year deal and and see how that one goes and, and get D'Antoni to get that team where it could be uh, with the roster they have. The question is, do you overhaul the roster like the Rockets did to, to go all the way to the D'Antoni uh, small ball style? Or do you, you know, kind of force D'Antoni to go back uh, a little bit towards the middle ground there with with playing some centers and not having not going five out. No, you play Dan, you play um, Zion at the the five and you're good. D'Antoni is sixty nine, by the way. Yeah, there you go. Okay, we got to move on. Um, we had talked about uh, so we had talked about talking about the Atlantic Division um, and and whether there are these changes that are happening not with Chicago but with the Nets and. The Sixers, uh, Josh. Can I throw it to you to to? Yeah, kick this There's, off. It's. I think that you know we're we're talking about all these other teams and maybe throwing out some some young coach names that some of the listeners haven't heard of. And uh, how does this all relate back to the Celtics? Well, it's pretty simple that a lot of these coaching changes that have happened have been in the Atlantic Division. The Knicks have hired Thibodeau. The Nets have hired Nash. The Sixers got Doc Rivers now. The only mainstays are uh, Nick Nurse with the Raptors and Brad Stevens with the Celtics. And so I think the coaching just got to a higher level, um, especially with you know the Knicks getting Thibodeau. It's, it's, uh, some people may think that Thibodeau with the Knicks isn't going to move the needle for them at all, but they are going to be a better defensive team with Thibodeau. And they're going to get rid of some of the guys that can't handle his coaching style or the intensity that he wants them to play at. So, you know, I, I just think that the whole division is now improved a little bit just from coaching changes. Mike, do you have thoughts on the Atlantic division? Um, I think it'll be, I mean, I think there's going to be four teams that are going to win at least 45 games. Um, and then the Knicks, who might win 18. <laughs> um, I... You know, when we were talking before, I, I'm not sure if I think Philly or the the Nets are going to be better over the course of a full season. Um, I think you've, I think the Celtics should be considered the favorite uh, for the division at the moment. Um, and then Toronto, we'll see kind of how they rebound, but they they played really really well, obviously this past regular season. So I think you can expect them to to be somewhere around the same. I love that three out of the five coaches have ties to the to recent Celtics history. Uh, it's going to be fun to see uh, them as well as Nash uh, prowling the sidelines. Uh, Josh, and as go ahead. as we look at you know it's the off season now, and you know it's time to get perspective on like, hey, if we do this bubble thing again, it's is you know it's going to be a regular season, and you know the Eastern Conference we're going to play more often. So these conversations now matter. You know, we've spent so long wondering, are they going to crown a champion? Are we going to come back? And now that we're, we've come back, you know, it's, it's all about the playoffs. It's all about the good teams and the good players. 
Um, and so there's a lot that's kind of been forgotten about, I think. Um, so it's, it's good to, to look at the new perspective of, okay, this Atlantic division has just gotten a little bit better. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes. Josh, you mentioned Nick Nurse. You mentioned Brad Stevens. I said on the last podcast that I thought the most underrated underrated move by the Celtics this year was signing Stevens to an extension. But seeing the way that Nurse outcoached him, seeing the way that uh, Spolstra outcoached him, um, I, this is a guy that we have put on a pedestal in Boston for the last five-ish years. And... I'm not knocking him off at all. I know there's a lot of people on Twitter saying, oh, we should get rid of him, but which is insane. His pedestal isn't as high as I originally thought. Um, he's got some work to do to, to have his name in the conversation for the top five coaches in the league, which I was kind of shoving him in there before, uh, even though he hadn't really proven it. Um, and I'm really... Just want to get quick thoughts from you guys. We may do a longer conversation about Stevens in comparison to other coaches in the league. But uh, did you also come away from the last two series uh, thinking slightly differently about Stevens? No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. To me, Stevens is better than Nurse, and I don't see him as getting out coached. I don't. You know, I think the adjustments that he was trying to make didn't work because the players weren't ready to make the adjustments. Mm-hmm. They weren't ready to bring their game to another level. And um, he was, his style, as we've talked about on this pod, is to allow players to figure it out themselves. That's why he doesn't take timeouts during certain runs uh, when, we're, when we're being outscored. He wants the players to be able to figure it out on the court because when that does happen, you now, like, something clicks. Um, and you know, there's an old saying in coaching that you're only as good as your players. So when you've got these superstars or, or young guys who are expected to be superstars, but still need to mature or are playing kind of immature, it's hard to get those adjustments to click on the court. And, you know, these other coaches you're mentioning are dealing with veterans. Yeah. I, I think the only, the thing I struggle to evaluate with Stevens is, you know, in his, he's, he's so kind of conscientious and thoughtful about what he says and how he says it in a public setting. And I think he brings a similar approach, obviously behind closed doors, but I would imagine he's more directive and, and at times more explicitly critical, you know, in a constructive way, but uh, behind closed doors than we ever see in public. Yeah. And that would be my one gripe with him is that sometimes you do need to be very specific and, and really kind of call, you know, call out a behavior that's problematic um, in order to, to support it, the, the type of growth that you're trying to get out of an individual. And it's just not clear to me that he kind of pushes those buttons with with the amount of pressure that I think sometimes is appropriate in the NBA. But it's it's just impossible. I, I don't know how to evaluate it. I think the other gripe that seems fair that we were feeling um, this postseason is he just wasn't giving his the young guys enough of a chance at the expense of, you know, and, and favoring 
veterans that just weren't good, like Shemi Ojale. <laughs> or or just line up, you know, changes game to game or week to week that didn't seem to make sense throughout the season, including the playoffs. Yeah. So, you know, though, and that one, I do think we can pretty legitimately. Like, I, you know, we, I asked the question, I think in like three straight episodes during the heat series or, or during the playoffs, just like trying to get you guys to give me any rational explanation as to why Shemi Ojale was playing. And the best we came up with was he's got like, he's blackmailing Stevens with some improper (laughs) uh, photographs or something that he, he got hold of. Um, But I don't think my opinion of Stevens has changed particularly over the course of the playoffs. I, I think he, he did make a lot of good adjustments. I think he went up against two phenomenal coaches and Nick nurse and Eric Spolstra. I don't think it's really an insult to suggest that someone is not as good a coach as Eric Spolstra, who's probably a top two coach in the NBA. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'd like to see more from Stevens, but I'd also like to see more from Tatum and, and Brown who, you know, I, I agree with Adams or with, with Josh's point that to a degree, a coach is only as good as players. And, you know, Stevens has really, really good young players, but they are young and they, they, you know, they've got to go through some of these growing pains. Final question. Game four of the NBA finals is Tuesday night. Uh, the Lakers are up two to one after a Jimmy Butler forty-point triple double, and uh, LeBron and AD are dominating. Obviously, Adebayo has missed time. Goran Dragic is out. Uh, do you guys care? Are you watching any of these games? I'm sorry, the season is over. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen a single minute of the NBA Finals. Oh my God! Why are you commenting on it? Then <laughs> playoff Rondo is something you guys are missing. Go rewatch Game Two and Game Three to no, see playoff Rondo. The top point guard in the NBA, uh, you know, remaining. I, name me a point remaining. guard that's better than playoff Rondo. I could name you like Kyrie, Kyrie Irving, obviously. <laughs> Not Kemba Walker. You you're saying Rondo's better than playoff Rondo is better than Kemba? Playoff Rondo is it is is the best point guard in the NBA. All right, can I get a, like a YouTube like ten minute clip of highlights or something? Um, I think that people are going to start seeing Rondo's career differently in a, in a few years. His stats, especially like all-time assists in the playoffs type stats, are among the Third best Third all-time. Yeah. So uh, we forget like how great this guy is. And, you know, because he's, he's had a good five, six years where he hasn't done much. And he's had a little bit more than that where he hasn't played much defense. Right? But playoff Rondo is a maniac defensively, extremely disruptive, and is able to take over games and at this even at this stage whereas before he was able to take over playoff series like he did uh against lebron for the celtics so he's not quite that yet uh anymore but i mean this guy is hitting threes he's he's incredible go watch the games no but jackie mcmullen did write a great article on rondo the other day on espn.com okay i will have to go check all of that out Uh, Thank you for listening, everybody. Please subscribe, rate us five stars. Follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod.